your Jesus guide and lead as we as we look at the word and see what you'd have us to see from this. And we just ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 5. We're going to go into the throne room of heaven today. So we're going to read it. It's not a very long chapter, but I am not absolutely sure that we're going to reach the end of it before the time runs out. So verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no one in heaven, nor in the earth, nor under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereupon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and lose the seven seals thereof. And I behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne and, in the, and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the world. And he came and took, out, took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odor, odors which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for you were slain and, were redeemed and, and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nations, and have made us unto, your, unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of the angels round about the throne, and the beasts of the elders, and the number of them were ten thousand times ten thousand, and a thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessings. And every creature which is in heaven, and on the earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in, in them heard I say in blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen, and the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him that lives forever and ever. All right, so we're, we're seeing right into the throne room of heaven on this, uh, this one. We talked about the... Twenty-four elders again. Now. Twenty-four elders, yep, we're back to the twenty-four elders. Uh, we see them a lot. Yeah. And we don't really know exactly who yeah. they are. And so we're going to look at this. And it says, I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book wherein, written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. So we first look at, he sees the Father. And we always wonder what we're going to see when we see the Father. But obviously, John saw at least hands. <laughs> Enough to know that he saw a right hand as, as opposed to a left hand holding a book. And it's always interesting when you see people have pictured this blob of light sitting on a throne with some kind of general shape of a man. Uh, and, you know, I've never really thought about it, and I've already told you all I'm not artistic enough to really put a lot of thought in this. But obviously John saw something that he recognized as some form of human being with arms. Uh, and he held in his right hand. Now we've discussed this. What does the right hand mean? Righteousness. Huh? 
Righteousness. Um, authority is definitely true. Uh, approval yeah. is a big, it, you, this person who sits on your right hand is the one who's approved. Uh, this is my right hand person. I depend on this person. They have my, they also, authority is a good part because they do have your, you know, if this is your right hand person and, and, and they go out and they speak for you, people know that they're supposed to listen because they're carrying your authority with them. They're the one that you've approved of. You've, you've, you've put your stamp on this person that I, they agree with me. They're going to say what I want you to say. So in his right hand is this book, sealed with seven seals. And really means scroll. Okay. Literally means scroll in this case. And in Roman law, a legal document was rolled up and sealed with seven seals. So this is a legal document that the, the Father is holding out and Jesus is getting ready to open. Uh, and in Roman law, it was, it, this would either be a will or even a title. And most people believe it was the title deed to the earth as we get further into this because Satan took the title deed of the earth from Adam and Eve and then Jesus claimed it back through his death, which we, the reason we see that he's worthy of doing this is because of his death and resurrection. Uh, so assuming that it is that type of deed, under Roman law, the only one who could open that seal was a family member, or the one that it was addressed to. If it's a will, it would be in the, the family member. And if it was a, a, a title deed, it would be the person who bought, bought the land. Kinsman, huh? Kinsman Redeemer? The Kinsman Redeemer? Not for Roman law. This, isn't, this, isn't, this is more of a Roman picture at this point. The Kinsman Redeemer was what, who Jesus was when he bought all of us back from the slave market of sin. But this is... We go all the way back to Adam and Eve's creation. They were put in charge of everything on this earth. Basically, they were the god of this world. <laughs> you know, they were the, the ones under God. They were the ones who were going to rule and have dominion over it. Adam gave names to all the animals, and basically what he said is what was, what was to be. And when man fell, they handed over that title deed to this earth to Satan, who was then, all through scriptures, called the god of this world. And when, when Satan tempted Jesus on the mountain in the 40 days of, of, uh, of fasting, and he brought him up on the high place, and he says, here is all the world. I will give this to you if you worship me. It was not a false offer. You know, it was his to give him. He says, if you just worship me, which meant that he placed him above him in, in God's place, I'll give you. And what he was saying is, I'm giving you a shortcut. I'm willing to give this to you if you'll just worship me. You don't have to go to the cross to, to earn this. And so you know, we want to keep that in mind. And here's the title deed being held out to God, held out by God to be opened. And it has to be opened by the right individual. There's only one, one person addressed or a family member is the case. And again, in the Roman, Roman legal system, it would be sealed with seven seals, with seven witnesses, to the, to, the, to the ceiling of it. And it wouldn't all have been on the last page necessarily. It could have been all through, you know, write a little bit, seal that section, write a little bit, seal that section. You know, so there could have been seven seals with writing on in there. So we don't know exactly what is all in this book other than what we're told. But it is that title deed of 
and it has to be opened by the right person. And so we see this in there, uh, that the seals are out there, and it is quite an interesting study, and it, and it literally is that it had to be opened by the right person. In the Roman, Roman things, you, it had, you know, for a will, the son was the one that would open it, the oldest son, and he had to be at least 12, uh, 14 years old before he could open it, okay? Because he wasn't considered an adult <laughs> until that, per, that point in time. Uh, and if, for a girl, if, he had, if, if she had no brother, she could open it at 12. So, which I don't fully understand why 12, but that was, she'd been married by 12 probably, so it would have actually been going to whoever her husband was. So this is just one of these things, and we see God holding out. Here is the title. Who has the permission to open it? And a very powerful picture when you see this. Uh, the father said, okay, you took this, now who's opening it? <laughs> Who gets to open it? And we don't really, and, and even in today's day, a will is sealed until the person dies. I mean, we just put it in an envelope and usually in a, in a safe of a lawyer's office or, or something. But it is sealed, and if it's unsealed, it is considered in question. Because it's supposed to be sealed and, so and acknowledged. So on God will open the seal or somebody else would open the seal? In what? And what we're looking at now? Yeah. Well, we're going to see Jesus opening. Yeah. Yeah. opening. He's the only one that's authorized yeah. to open it. It's, okay. It was addressed to him. He bought it. He paid the price to, to be given the permission to open, and that's what we're going to see. But I just wanted to set the, set the stage on what is this document out there. Because you know, we all think, you know, well, it's just this thing, and all of a sudden Jesus comes along. But it is a, you know, John from a Roman period of time is saying, you know, when people in, in that day read that, they're going, oh, He's talking about a legal Roman document. Okay, this made total sense to them. It's not like how we read it saying, oh, they got this envelope that's sealed. Okay, he's opening a big, you know, big deal. You know, what's, what's, you know, so I'm trying to lay the groundwork on why this is a big deal when we read this chapter. It's not just, here's a seal, you know, here's a scroll that's been sealed. Go ahead and open it. It's, this is a legal document out that he's looking at. really important. In most cases, yeah. and we talked about in, before, God says that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And the sealing proves the authenticity of what's inside. Especially in these days when you put your, your ring on it to stamp it. You know, you know, nowadays we know people can steam open a seal and, you know, and, and reseal and you don't really know. You can catch the letter and spin it out you know, with a, a little, little crow. You know, there's ways that you can bypass the seals, but these seals are a little different. You know, and, and, but you're right. I mean, a sealed envelope is a big deal. Uh, if you don't, you, know, you get a letter in the mail that's not sealed, you're going, why, why isn't it sealed? Who opened it? You know, who's been reading my mail? Who's been yeah. reading my documents? What's missing? Yeah, what's missing even? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What has been changed? Yeah. And this is, this is the whole purpose of it. And this is why wills, even today, are pretty much in a sealed envelope. This is the seal, and it's usually signed across the seal in some way or, or stamped with this seal saying, this is an official document. What's inside has not been tampered with. And that's why the Holy Spirit seals us so that when he presents us to the Father, it says, here is what we know is in here. It hasn't been tampered with. It's not been changed. And so we see that in this, in this area here. And then it says, I saw a strong angel, and interestingly, he says strong angel when you, in verse 2, 
You know, we had an angel in yeah, in the Old Testament that killed 187,000 men in one night. So, I'm sure he was strong you know, too. I hope that angel was strong. And if that angel wasn't strong, I'd hate to know how strong this one is. <laughs> uh, this is a strong angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals therein? And worthy in here is to have merit or permission. Okay, it's... You know, this would be, okay, who's, you know, it almost would, we would almost say, who's authorized to open this, this book? You know, who out there is authorized? And he's saying, and, and, then, and then John goes, and no, no man or actually no one in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look therein. Okay, in heaven, in earth, or even under earth, the three, the three realms basically, nobody in heaven, earth, on, on earth that's alive or in hell was able to open that book. And, and this word able is kind of an interesting word. It means it literally has a different meaning than, than you might think. And I'm going to read this to you because it came right out of my uh, Greek uh, lexicon. Power, whether by virtue of one's ability or resources or the state of mind or through favorable circumstances or by permission of law or custom. Okay, and uh, I need to repeat that for all you people taking notes. <laughs> What's the word? Able. Oh, able. And it's power, whether by virtue of one's own ability, that means your own strength, or resources, you, have, you know, you, you bought it, or a state of mind, or through favorable circumstances, and the last one is what's applying to here, or by permission of law or custom. Okay, so we're talking about the will. It's not who was strongest that could go up there and grab hold of it and open it. It was only one person, and that was the one it was addressed to, the one who had bought it. Okay, so this able, it's not really our English word for able. You know, I am able to do that. Anybody, you know, if you were to think that in that way, almost anybody was able to walk up and, you know, pull the seals apart. Okay, but this is one by permission of law. Okay, this is sealed. It's meant for one person to open it. And, you know, and, and John looks around and he sees nobody, nobody there that's able to do it. And, you look, I, and John's attitude, and I wept much. And this weeping that John does in the Greek is a very strong one. It is to weep open, openly, audibly, like a child. He was just so saddened by it that nobody could open it. he just saw nobody who could open it, and he just wept. He knew the book. He knew this legal document was important, and there was nobody that was given the permission. And this is not the wailing, you know, the wailing trying to make knowledge. You know, it's not not the shedding, just the shedding of tears where you're where you're just sad. Uh, it's it's not even a dirge or a lament. This is just he was. Wailing, and anybody who's seen a kid who's been hurt knows what that what that crying is. Uh, I want attention. I'm really sad, and, and I need I need that help. And John's John is in tears. You know, and we and we can know that those times when we just feel that hurt, when something goes on, and we just see that something is not right. And it's that hurt we might feel when we when we look at somebody and we see how they're failing to live up to God's way of doing things. They're failing to walk in righteousness and to follow God's way of doing things. And we get that hurt in our, in our being that they're making bad calls, they're making bad decisions. And in this case, it's just the hurt of this document. <laughs> Nobody's nobody's available nobody's to make this. Nobody's worth opening this document. And, and think about where he's at. 
He's not on earth. I know it. He's in heaven, and he's saying there's nobody here in heaven that's that's worthy of that, that this is addressed to, you know, uh, and that it's causing him great, great ang anguish because it's you know this document is obviously important. It's a legal document. He recognizes it as a legal document, and he doesn't see anybody and who's. I read that, and I never thought of it that way, but that really does hit your heart. Mm-hmm. And it says, because no, no man was found worthy to open and read the book. And that read there is very interesting because it means to know accurately in, in Greek. It means to know accurately. Neither to look thereon. So, I mean, th this, is, this is a serious, serious thing to John. And you can picture him. He's in heaven weeping. And he's weeping because, you know, here, here, it is, here he is in heaven and there's nobody that's able he, he to open it. He don't weep in heaven either. Yeah. You know, well, at the very, very end, oh, God yeah, wipes yeah, all yeah. the tears. But there's a lot of weeping yeah. in heaven up, up until that period of time. Okay. But uh, John is weeping. He's crying. And he's doing it because there's nobody that is worthy. And, and this worthy is such an interesting word, you know. That, and that is that same thing that we had before, you know, that they have the right Verse 5, And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and loose the seven seals. And those titles we know are Jesus. He is the lion of Judah, the, the, the root of David. And this word prevailed literally means to win a victory. But it also has an inclusion of, and so prove the right and the power to possess. He proved his right and power to possess by going to the cross, dying for our sins, and being resurrected. He proved he was the Son of God, which then goes back to, as we said, that the, the last will or testament or the, the title deed goes to the member of the family, so his Victory over death was his proof that he was a member of the family, definitely over 14, <laughs> and had the right to take the scroll because he, was, he had proved who he was. And in Rome, there was a lot of times when you had to prove that you were the son and that you were worthy to be the son. And, and so this is all part of the Roman tradition of things and that we're seeing here. But Jesus, the Lion of Judah, the one who is going to be the king, and Judah was always the, the kingly tribe from the very beginning. Isaac blessed him and said that, Judah, you will have kings from your loins. You know, and then when Benjamin got the king, first king, it was quite an interesting situation because nobody expected it. And it wasn't what the scripture said. Because remember, Saul was a Benjamite. He wasn't from the tribe of Judah. So he had, no, he had no prophetic right to the kingdom. And yet it was given to him to start with. And then you have David of the line of Judah coming along. And then God promising David, there will always be a king from your lineage forever, which refers to Jesus, where he will rule forever as the king. And so we see, again, prophecy all through the scriptures coming true. And this is, this is the thing about the Bible. The Bible has so much prophecy in it. I mean, when somebody said that, the, you know, that Judah, you're going to have kings come out to you, it had about a 1 in 12 chance of being right. Okay, there's 12 tribes. You know, you're going to pick one of the 12 tribes. You pick Judah. 
And Judah wasn't the chief of his brothers at that time. He was, he was not the one that you would have normally picked. So, and when we see prophecy in the scripture, and it's the only, only book that has prophecy that is so specific that you, kn you know it when it's true. You don't have to sit there and say, well, well, this one said this, and it might possibly mean this or been fulfilled here. You know, it talked about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. You know, okay, out of all the cities in, in, in Israel, number one, why would they have picked Bethlehem? It was one of the smallest of all the towns in, in Israel, and yet they picked it. You know, normally you probably would have said, I think it'll be Jerusalem. It is, it's the big town. It's where, it's where everything happens. It's like if they would have picked Chloride. Yeah, it would be like saying, out of all the towns in America, Chloride's going to be where the Messiah will come from. Is, you know, uh, well, number one, a lot of people are going, where, where's Chloride? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was the same thing with Bethlehem. Well, where the heck is Bethlehem? It's 12, mi you know, 12 miles from Jerusalem, and you're saying Bethlehem? You know, it was a little more well known than chloride is, but it was still it wasn't. You know, it had 30 or 40 families in it. You know, and it wasn't where you would normally have spoken, especially when it was prophesied. It was a really small place. You know, and then it was said that you know all the children would be, you know, that Rachel would be crying for her children because of their deaths, and all of a sudden Herod kills all the babies under under three years old, and you know, and it tells us all these very specific proofs that he'll be of the line of David. He'll be you know, be born of a virgin, and all these different things that are very specific, and we see them all fulfilled. And don't remember off the top of my head, but the odds of all these different things being fulfilled in one, one person being born in, at the right place and all these things happening was, you know, astronomical. Uh, I remember they, one of the pictures they tried to use on it was that you put a, you know, paint one silver dollar out of a bin and put, and put silver dollars over the whole state of Texas, three feet deep, and then try to find the one with one chance. Uh, and you can imagine that wouldn't, wouldn't, you probably wouldn't ever happen. Um, so this is the power of all this, the praise of all this. And it says he's proved that he's who he's supposed to be. He's proven he's won the victory that he can be able to answer and pick this up. And verse 6, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and in the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the world, earth. The lamb as it had been slain. Do you realize that Jesus will bear the marks of the cost of buying us back for eternity in heaven? He will be the only thing scarred in heaven. He bears the marks because of how precious he thinks we are. Uh, I am glad that he's going to wipe away the tears because I don't believe that I could look at Jesus scarred for and the cost that it took us to get there so and not have gonna, tears. He's still going to have the scars in? He's seeing them here. Everywhere, it's, it's he, everywhere in, the, in uh, Revelation, he's described as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He's going to bear the scars. Now, does he bear every single scar in, for the beating? I don't know. It does... You know, it may be that he only takes and bears the scars of the, of the spear and the, and the nails. And the nails. Yeah. Uh, but it says that we see him as the one slain before the foundation of the world. He's been seen by God, the Father, as slain for all time. And, and this is something that is just phenomenal. He is going to show us the, the price he paid for us. 
We're the ones that should be scarred, not him. <laughs> it's true. We should be scarred. Yeah. We should be. We shouldn't even be there, much less what? not scarred. Uh, and yet, because of what he did, we get to we get to enter in with perfection, without the scars. But we're always going to be having that reminder of what it cost for us to be there. And I am so glad he's going to take away the, the tears because I don't believe that I could look at that and not be broken by it. I, it's just the way I see it. I can't, I can't think about it on this earth without being broken about it. I can't understand how I would feel seeing the cost of what, it, the, what he paid. And it says, John saw him, the lamb slain in heaven. With seven horns and seven eyes, seven horns, the horn represents power. When you're reading Daniel, we read later on in, in Revelation, horn refers to power. And we see that over and over in the scriptures. It, it talks about the horn, the horn of this king, the horn of that king, that's talking about power, rule. So seven, completion, perfect, perfect rule. He's going to have perfect rule. He's got the seven horns, seven eyes. And this one is not even open to discussion because it says, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into the world? So the um, eyes are the spirit? Are the spirit okay. being everywhere. And we've talked about, remember, we, we've talked about the spirit on a couple of occasions. It, it could be Isaiah 11, 12. It could even be, and I've read this several times, it could be a picture of the menorah, which is a picture of the spirit of God. And each of the bowls in the menorah are, are given a name. One is loving kindness. One is strength. One is mercy. One is uh, victory. One is glory. One is just foundation. And the other one is kingdom, which would be the various aspects of God being shown through, his, through the menorah. Sorry, Samuel. So I'm not going to be strong on either one of those. Uh, there's questions on both, both of those things. Uh, some people believe it's the attributes of God the seven attri major attributes of God. The seven spirits of God would have been the witnesses because they are God. And we Remember we talked how some people think these are angels in front of God, but the very clear when he talks about the spirits of God that he's equating them with God. And so I, don't, I, I agree with most commentators that they're not angels because he's attributing them as, as God. And so it's, it's something to do with his attributes, his, his power. And again, it's one of those things where if somebody wants to tell me something about God, it's his attributes, or it's the menorah, or it's the, you know, the, the, the 11, uh, Isaiah 11.2, and there's lots of questions on 11.2, you know, because it lists seven features of God, but it couples them into pairs, three pairs with one extra. Uh, and a lot of people say, well, there's only three there, so how can you say there's seven? Well, you know. I'm not going to argue with them on that either. I've long believed that that was Isaiah 11 too, but I've come across the whole idea that might be the menorah. I'm not, you know, if you want to have something that you believe strongly in, and be my guest. <laughs> uh, but these seven spirits see everything. It goes over the entire world. And this basically talks about the omnipresence of God. He is everywhere. He is seeing everything. It can say it sent forth into all the world. Yeah, into all, all the world. Yeah. And so he's sent out there, and then the Spirit is everywhere. And matter of fact, you go right back to Genesis, the, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Okay, so 
right from the beginning, the Spirit has always been there. The Spirit has been omnipresent, moving, moving and, doing, and doing what He does. And His job is to bring people to Jesus, convict them of their sins, and to bring them to God. And so we see that here, and Jesus has the seven eyes, which shows that it's part of Him. You know, it's one of those verses that help build the Trinity out of here. You've got the Father sitting on the throne. You've got the Lamb in front of Him. You've got the Spirit represented in the eyes going, going out into all the world. And this is one of the things, and we bring this up, you know, people will tell you, well, the, Trini the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, and they are absolutely correct. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. But God is definitely shown as three separate and distinct individuals, and he also says they are one. We can't comprehend that. When Jesus was baptized, the, the Spirit came down as a dove. Jesus came out of the water. The Spirit came down as a dove, and the voice in heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is there. The Spirit descends, and God says, This is my Son. Listen to him. Uh, in the very beginning of Genesis, it says there, Elohim, which is a plural word for one God. And we don't understand that either. And the Jews don't understand it. So, but we see that God says he is one, which he uses Elohim on that. And, but we also know that he's multi, multifaceted. And what that means, we don't know. And, and I've always taught, when I teach on the Trinity, I can teach you everything I know about the Trinity and all the verses on the Trinity. And by the time we get done, you're not going to understand the Trinity any better than when we started. Because it is something that our little human brains cannot wrap itself around. We'll talk about the egg, you know, the egg is three parts, but if you break an egg and separate it, you no longer have an egg. You know, you have a shell, a yolk, and a, and a white. Uh, and you cannot put them back together again. They'll talk about ice, but you can only have uh, water in one form at a time. It's either liquid, solid, uh, or gas, but it's not all three at all one time. You have that transition place where you can have two of them at one time, but you can't have all three at one time. So everything we use as an example falls apart. We look at the, the, the universe and we go, okay, we have earth and heaven and the rest of the universe, but you know, we can't break them apart and say that they're individual. Uh, and so we, we see all kinds of examples of the idea of Trinity, but we'll never understand it, and yet we see it all through the scripture. God is Three entities, and they are one. And the closest, we can, the closest example I can ever think about is us, body, soul, and spirit. But again, we can't separate our body, soul, and spirit into three entities, but yet we do know that all three of those entities fight and war within us on a daily basis. We have the, the body with all of its lustly, lust and, and desires. We've got the soul, which is our innermost being with its depending on which side, and then you've got our spirit, which wants to do what is right. So, but, so that's about as close as we can get. They war against each other. We know that they are three very separate, distinct parts of us, and yet we are one. And that's probably the closest we can ever get. But again, we can't separate our body, soul, and spirit from each other and put them back together. And we can separate them through death. We can separate the body from the, the spirit and the soul, but we can't, we can't put them back together. God can, but we can't. So we, we can see pictures of Trinity, but we can't ever totally grasp that idea of what the Trinity means. 
Because we start, and, and we're accused all the time of worshiping three gods because, you know, you got the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you know, and, they, and because you, because the mind can't put them all together as, as one, they will say, well, you worship three gods, or they will deny that we have the three parts, and they'll try to say, well, it's just, just how he expresses himself. And that has got a very big danger, too, to say, and that is kind of a truth in there, but you can't, there's the danger of going too far that other direction and say, and, and you get back into the ice example, one or the water, one or the other, but not, not all at one time, which would, would, in which case you wouldn't have him coming down to Jesus's baptism and all three of them being present. And we always want to remember that they're all three persons. The Holy Spirit is not an it, it is not a thing. It, he is re referred to as he. He can be grieved, he can be, you know, he can be, uh, uh, rejected, so he has personality, he has all the personality, all the characteristics of God, so he is God. So don't think he is just the force, <laughs> the force, the power of God. It's, it's very clear that he is God. Alright, verse 7. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. He had the power to do it, and he took the book, and the Father didn't stop him. He was authorized to open it. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of the odors, full of odors, which are the prayers of saints, of the saints. So he takes the book and everybody starts worshiping. At least all the key characters there that we've been discussed, that we've looked at. The the four the four beasts, which may be a generalized version of the rest of everything as we showed you in that picture last week with the, the beast and the, 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 the direction around it. Uh, I'm not going to get very strong on that, but it is a very strong feeling that I have that they represent the whole congregation. The 24 elders and what leaders they are, we don't know. We don't know how somebody gets to be one of the 24 elders. Uh, but they bow down. Actually, it says fall down. They actually prostrate themselves, which probably means putting their face down, down, in the, down yeah. putting their faces down in the ground and just worshiping. And it says they have harps, and the harps are what they would use to sing songs and to bring praise. But I love this other one. And they have vials of the odors of the prayers of the saints. They're presenting the prayers of the saints before God. And we look at this. God talks about the odor, the odors, the smells that, that bring in peace. In the Old Testament, he talks about the sacrifices being a sweet savor. And I don't know what's sweet about burnt flesh, but God took, God took comfort in that smell coming up to him that people were willing to say, I've sinned and here's my offering. We had the incense altar in the, in the holy place, which represents the, the prayers of the, of the people. Very practical. And here in heaven, we've got the 24 elders presenting the prayers. And I can understand why God takes pleasure in the prayers, you know, for most prayers, you know, especially when they're God help others and God they need help and strengthen this person and and this is where we need to be when when we come to God in prayer so often a lot of people is you know they're looking at God as a genie and the lamp we're up in the you know God give me and I don't think those are the prayer I mean he listens to those prayers and he'll answer the ones that are valid but I think when God hears us saying God this person is going through a really hard time would you give them the strength to get it over it. Would you would you get them in into your fellowship? Will you 
help them. I think God takes pleasure in those kind of prayers. Yeah, prayers I go by by healing and showing them in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And that's important. Where are our prayers when we pray? Now, in our prayer guide, we have that, that word acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And we really need, those other three are probably the most important parts in our prayer. God, I adore you. You are wonderful. You're, you're great. You're gracious. God, I confess my sins. God, I am thankful for the things you've answered. And oh, oh by the way, God, while I'm here, there's a few things that, that are needed by others. You know, maybe in some of the, some of the what I need, because God wants to give us what we, what we desire as well, as long as it's within his will and will do us good. Just as when we had have you know, with our kids, we, you know, there's that point where the kids get too too asking too much. You know, I need this, that, and the other thing, and it's like, no, you don't need all that stuff. You may want it, but we also, as much as we, if we really care for our kids, we want to help them and give them good things. We're not like, well, you know, you don't need that, so you're never going to get it. You know, we take them out to dinner, we take them out to the amusement park, you know, or whatever it might be. We paid for camp, or you know, all these different things we do for our kids, not because we have to but because we just want to give them, and God's, God is no different than we are. Is it okay, because I've been praying a lot for my dog. Because mm -hmm. I don't have any kids, because his tumor is getting so much bigger, I just don't want him to go through pain. I'm letting God direct me when I need to. Not a problem. Not a problem. Uh, we've gone through this. I, I, get, I get myself in trouble every time I talk no, about animals not being part of a I family, but I... I important other things, but like, to me, my animals are my kids because I've never had any kids, you know. Well, and let's I've created animals, you know. Let, let's cover that. You know, you say it's not all that important, and there's a lot well, of people. I, think it's important, I was getting. That's yes. what I'm getting to. Yeah. There's a lot of people who think, well, I, this problem is just too small for God. What problem that we on this earth are ever going to experience that is too big for God? You know, if we really want to take that, I mean, no matter, you know, it could be life-threatening to us, but to God. It's like, who, you know, he could be saying, who cares? But he doesn't. He wants us to bring, if it's on your heart, no matter how small it is, bring it to, bring it to him. Because God says that when we are weak, we are strong. When we're serving others, we're leaders. And when we take the little things to God, we're just saying, God, I think this is important. And again, let's go back to our kids when they're little. You know, they come to you with this little toy that they pulled apart that we know just snaps back together. You know, but are we going to say, well, you stupid kid, you know, just snap the thing together and you're okay. No, we go, oh, I'm sorry that this is broken. Let me, let me help you get it fixed. And we fix it for them. You know, and we're looking at it. That could be one of those examples. You know, it's such a small thing. They could have just snapped it together themselves if they had taken a moment. And God is the same way. He wants us to bring even the littlest things to him because he is our father. He cares about us in a very deep way that we may never understand. He wants to bless us. He wants to give us not just our needs. Most people say, well, it's not a need, it's a want. Well, give it to God. Maybe, maybe he will say that it's something you can go ahead and have. It's part of being dependent on God. Being dependent. <laughs> And too often we want to be independent. God, I can handle this. This is just a small problem. I can do this. 
But the problem with small problem, you know, handling small stuff is we try to keep handling bigger and bigger stuff because we start wondering, you know, what is what is too too small and what is too big. And God is saying, I just want you to come to me. This may be a dumb question, but why? Just when I talked about, I'm not crying because I'm sad. I mean, I don't know why it just hit me. Mm -hmm. Kill it, my dog. Yeah, but God wants He wants our attention to him as father he doesn't want he doesn't want to wait for something big and you know he's you know and we're the same way with our kids growing up you know and i like coming back to kids because that's the greatest example you know we didn't want our kids just coming to us when big things happen you know we wanted them to come to us just because they wanted to be with us they wanted us for something and i'm even and we didn't want them coming to us just when they came with things we probably couldn't help with anyway we wanted them to come with anything that we could just bless them with. And, and I know what it's like now when my kids all grown up and I see them once a month, you know, instead, or, or not at all for a couple of them that live across the country. And I think about even my relationship with my mom. She lives right there in Kingman and I only see her like once a week, you know, and she only four blocks from my house. <laughs> You know, but she's busy, I'm busy, and there's times I've gone by her house and nobody's home and, you know, but God is wanting us just to come. Be, be there and need him need him because he wants to give us good things and just keep in mind there's nothing too bit too little for God to want to help with he wants to do those things for us verse 9 and they sang a new song saying you are worthy to take the book and open the seals therefore you for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. That's quite interesting the way they put that. Uh, for, but it starts out that you are worthy because you were slain. You redeemed these people. You are, you are worthy of it. And this is, this is why he is the one that can take the book. He f did the Father's will. And we want to remember the scripture that says he was slain before the foundation of the world, before this world was ever created and, and made, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit got together and said, we're going to create this world, we're going to create man, they're going to fall, and son, I'd like you to pay the price to bring them back. And I tell you, I, I just don't understand that whole thought. <laughs> and we're going to create this, this world, and these people are going to fail, and you're going to, and, I want, and, and Jesus, would you take the, the punishment for this? And he said yes. You know, he said yes, which is hard to believe in the first place. And the Father knew, and the Spirit knew that this was going to happen. That's what. Uh, it blows my mind that they did this, and he bought us back by his blood, the power of the blood, but also the love that God has for us. It, to me, it's just, I've said it over and over, it's just an amazing thing. He had this much love for us even before he created us. When man failed, it was not, failed, it was not a surprise. It didn't, he didn't go, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. He already had the plan in place. He knew it was going to happen. And Jesus had agreed to do it beforehand. And so it's quite amazing. He says, redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred, which is family, every tongue, which is literally dialect, and people and nations. And he's repeated this four times. 
know, whatever family you come from, we're going to have you from. Whatever dialect you speak, whatever nation you speak, and whatever. And by the way, if in case that's not any, anybody who's a people out there, you know, if you're a person, you're part of a nation, you're part of a family. You know, you see the, you see this repetition here. He's basically saying, I'm including everybody. He's making sure we, they know. Yeah. But this is kind of a message to the Jews because the Jews had this attitude that they were the ones. You know, we're the ones. You know, everybody's, gonna, everybody's coming to Jerusalem to worship, and that is true. We're going to see that by the end of the book. Everybody's going to be coming to Jerusalem. But this was one that says, he came to buy everyone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And we need to keep that in mind. There's no other way. And there's all kinds of people who want to try to make, other, you know, well, the, maybe if they are sincere in their worship, they're going to, no. <laughs> if there was any other way that you could get to heaven, Jesus would not have had to pay with his life. Maybe I can do enough good. No, you can't do enough good. You can't even do enough bad to not deserve it. You know, because one bad is all it takes to not deserve it. But it says his blood, his blood redeemed the world and set aside for all people. This is where it says, and have redeemed us. And later it says, made us kings and priests. They were getting to, yeah. That those 24 elders and the four living creatures are redeemed people. At least the 24 elders are. And it depends on what the beasts are. Yeah, but it says, the yeah. four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, and they all sang this song. Yeah. They must all be redeemed. Yeah. It's, well, the day depends on whether they're referring to the 24 elders or the 24 elders and the beasts. Okay. Uh, again, if we go back to what I might have seen through the, through the beast being the representation of the, the tribes, and it represents all of us wrapping around the throne, then yes, it's, we are, if that is a true statement, then I'm believing that it might be then yes, everybody in that group is redeemed. And the they refers to both groups. Uh, but not many people take what I just said about the, the beast being everybody, yeah, wrap, yeah. everybody wrapped around. Uh, it makes sense to me because it fits into the tabernacle being wrapped around by the priest, being wrapped around by the, the people with their, with their insignia around it. So I tend, because, I've, because I see the tabernacle and the organization of Israel as a picture of the heavenly throne room with everything wrapped around it, I am more and more believing that, that beast those beasts represent all of, all of the redeemed in camps around, encamped around the throne. Uh, I will never get dogmatic about it because it's something that I can't prove, but I just, God said, be careful on the tabernacle that you make everything according to his plan because it was a representation of heaven. And so I see the organization around the camp being the same, the same thing. Do you see any significance on the, they sang a new song? A new song, basically it's a song because it is a song of what he paid for. So yes, it, it is a significant, especially as we get further in, uh, that he is worthy, that he is lifted up, and he, is, he has created a way for all the world to come to him. And again, this is at a time when the Jews thought they were the one and only, and if you weren't a Jew, you, you weren't going to make it into God's presence. And 
having said that, pretty much I am of the school of thought, and there's many in this, that every word in the Bible is significant. Every little point is significant for some reason. And otherwise it wouldn't be there. There's, there's only so many pages in the book, and you know, if you wanted the entirety of everything he did and, and said, then we wouldn't have enough pages. So when you water it down, it's like anybody who writes a book you don't, you know, you're, you you're not going to put a bunch, yet. you're not going to put everything in it, and you're not going to put a lot of, you know, things that are irrelevant. Because you only have so many pages in your book, and if you want somebody to read it, why would you put irrelevant things in it? And so I am of that school of thought that when whatever's in the scriptures is there for a reason. And that's how I teach it. You know, I want to, God, what is the reason for this phrase, or this action, or you said this, why is that important? What was important about it? And I say that because there's a lot of places in the Bible where they'll write it off saying, well, that was for their time. It has no impact on us. Well, why in the world would God put something in the Bible that was only relevant to them when it's a book of, you know, for all time? God, and when I've been reading, it seems like when I read it, it's like, this is to be now. Yeah. I think of, I think we, the way things are happening and everything. You know. Well, we see that kind of comment coming out of people who want to say, well, we as a people have grown out of the, the taboos of homosexuality or adultery or fornication. And it was, on, it was for those unlearned idiots back there that didn't know any better. You know, they, do, they hadn't evolved enough. You know, so it, it does, it's not for our time. And when you start thinking in those terms, it's like, okay, I can write off almost anything in the, I can write off almost anything in the Bible if I just say, well, it was for their time. And I'm not one to do that. I don't believe God wrote anything in the scriptures that is not relevant for where we're at that we don't learn from. And so that is just a strong place of where I am. That's the uh, hermeneutics that, what, that I was taught. And hermeneutics is just a big fancy word for interpretation of the script, you know, the, the document. I'm just so amazed when I do read it, like, this could be talking about now. I'm, oh. I'm just... Yeah, there's so much in there that is just I amazing know, when you yes. think about it. And verse 10, they sang a new song, and the part of their song was, and have made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. We as Christians have been bought by the blood of Christ, and presented to God as kings, which is literally leader of people or princes, as would be a better one. You know, uh, royal, royal family probably would have been a better statement in here, uh, rather than kings uh, and priests. And a priest is one who does the business of worshiping God. Okay, literally offering the sacrifices, but they would also keep the keep the tabernacle clean and swept and and what did uh, and all of that. They were busy about the sacred rituals, or in other words, does the work of God in dedication and service. And we as Christians are supposed to be priests. We are supposed to be dedicated to God and what He asks us to do, dedicated to His work, dedicated to what He wants us to do. And then I love this part, and we shall reign on the earth. And this is specifically in the millennial kingdom where we will reign with Christ for a thousand years. But then there's a new heaven and earth following that, that there will be some kind of reigning on, and who knows what will reign over there because everybody will be redeemed. <laughs> but during the millennial kingdom, it's going to be a very interesting time during the millennial kingdom. There will be people there that still have their sin nature, they will be forced to be obedient for a thousand years. And then there'll be us, the redeemed, that rule. 
with Jesus and the angels keeping everybody in, in line. Yeah. And for a thousand years, people will not be able to sin. But the problem is going to be that they want to. They still have their sin nature. They don't have Satan. Satan is bound. He's not in there whispering on the earth, but their sin nature. And remember, we sin because we are sinners. Satan helps us out a lot, or some, but we all have the lust of the flesh, the pride of the eyes, and the, and the, the pride of life, and the, and the lust of the flesh, and, the, and, the, and our eyes. And we have enough problems in our own being to sin. We don't need any help. And yet we have the demonic world helping us to sin too. But we have enough in our own being that wants to sin. And this is why I, why I always tell people, I am never surprised when people sin. Because we are sinners. Our desire, our flesh desires to sin. Our flesh desires to be ruling over people and having dominion and, and saying those nasty words or, or smacking somebody upside the head because they were mean to us. You know, and said it over and over, our first instinct is always going to be the flesh. When somebody's unkind to us, our flesh is going to flare up and say, yeah, well, I'm going to give you what you deserve. Now, if we're staying close to God and the Spirit, the, the Spirit can sometimes get up right up there with us and say, no, you're going to, you're going to love this person. You're going to be kind to them. Uh, and we know what's ruling by how we react. If when somebody's mean to you and you are back in their face real quick, you know that the flesh is run, ruling at that moment. If you are loving to them, then you know that at that moment you're, you're close to God and the Spirit is ruling. Because the and flesh it's much is much nicer to be in the Spirit and there's not, and not as much harm. And the thing that I've been really noticing is how much harm does Satan do by getting spiritual people or, or Christian people to be the ones that harm others? And you see it all the time in, in, the, in the scriptures even. It was Judas who rose up against Jesus. It was, you know, the, the, the rest of the disciples that rose up against Paul when he's trying to, after, his, after his, uh, his salvation. And, you know, we see it all through the scriptures. It's somebody usually in the family that rises up. That's and why. it's a double hurt. It's a double hurt. You, you expect the world to come against you. There's nothing unusual about the world. We're, we're prepared for the world to come against us because God says the world's going to hate you. Jesus said the, the world hated me. They're going to hate you. So I, we ex yeah. I wish I would have known it a long time ago because now whenever something like that happens, I'm really doing good to say, no, you're not. I'm thinking in my, no, Satan, you're not going to do it to me. No, no. Yeah. And it's so much, and, it's, and we need to recognize Satan loves to use other Christians to, to get it because it's a double hit. It's from the family that shouldn't have been hitting you in the first place, doing damage that would have come from someplace else, and it, it hurts even more. You know, and we all know what it's like if the family come, if your own personal family comes against you, that hurts more than just having a stranger say something about you. Because a stranger you can kind of shake off, well, I'll, they don't really know me, but your family when they come against you, you know, number one, they're supposed to know you, and maybe they think they, it's because they know you that they're being that way. But it hurts more when it's from family, and it's the same thing in the church. It hurts more when somebody in the church comes against the church for whatever crazy reason they have. And it, it challenges us to be loving toward them. All right. 
Verse 11, and, and I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and, and thousands of thousands or basically it works out to be about 101 million mm -hmm. angels. <laughs> that's a lot of angels. <laughs> God is not worried about anything. And I don't even know if that's the full number of angels because you think about, you know, they use 10,000 in the Old Testament as a big number. Uh, million. You know, this is a, literally it's 101 million yeah, with yeah. the numbers that he gives us, and it's, it's probably just saying a large number, uh, because even and I don't know how my wife watches a lot of the cowboy shows on Saturdays from the old west. You know, and these guys go and they leave with a wagon full of groceries, you know, wagon full of groceries for like eight bucks. You know, and you're going, wow, you know, <laughs> we'd be spending 300 or 400 dollars for that. You know, and they, they go buy land, you know, buy the ranch for you know 150 dollars. You know. Uh, but we think even even as close as 17th century, you know, if you had ten thousand dollars on you, you would be a millionaire. You know, basically, you would be equivalent to our day uh, a millionaire. You know, you, you could lay ten thousand dollars, you know, because you made a buck and a half or something for the whole week. So <clears throat> when we see these kind of numbers, I don't think it literally means that there's 101 million angels out in in heaven. I think he's just saying there are a lot of angels. You know, there's 10,000, and by the way, in case you didn't think 10,000 was big enough, it's times 10,000, and then there's thousands of thousands more. You know, literally when you read that, it's 101 million, but I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's just saying there were just so many people up there, I couldn't even, couldn't even, you know, understand it. And these angels are saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. <laughs> you know, that's, quite a, that's quite a list of things. Power, dunamis. They, you know, we talked about the Holy Spirit being our power to live. You know, and you'll hear everybody comment that you know, we get the word dynamite out of dunamis. You know, and, we, and they're trying to show you the, you know, the explosive power. And it is, it is that kind of power. Riches. And this riches is full of abundance. This isn't just meagerly. You know, here's the bare minimum riches that you can need. This is overflowing riches. It's like a river of money. A river of money, uh, overflowing the yeah. banks, yes. Uh, wisdom, applied knowledge, we've talked about that. Being so smart, you win. Yeah. Strength, ability, and uh, honor. Now, I love the word for honor because it literally is the, pli the price placed upon something, okay? And we think about that, you know, whenever we buy something, there's a price placed on it. Now, there's the price that we, we place on it and the price that the <laughs> person who owns it place, places on it. And, and if you can come to an agreement where both of you feel satisfied, then you can make us purchase. If I think the thing is worthless and, you know, the, and the person who's selling it thinks it's worth a whole lot of money, I'm not buying it, <laughs> okay? If it's the other way around, I feel like I got a really good deal. You know, I thought this thing was worth $10,000 and they sold it to me for 1000 you, know, uh, you know, the person who owned it didn't have the high price on it. And we see that all the time. And that's part of the art of bargaining and negotiating. And people sell their time for, for, to, their, to, the, to a workplace. And then they'll gripe and say, well, I didn't get paid enough. Well, you obviously got paid what you thought your time was worth or you wouldn't have done the job. And so this is where the honor, the glory, and the blessing. 
Blessing here is kind of an interesting word because it's eulogia, where we get the word eulogy. And that's the, the place to praise on somebody, to, to build them up and to edify them. A eulogy is all the nice things that's said about somebody who's dead. It doesn't have to necessarily be dead, but that's when we use that word. Their eulogy is at a funeral. But you can actually build people up, you know, you know, and it's not usually called a eulogy at that time, but it's same same principle, saying nice things about them and good things about them. There's seven of those things. Huh? There's seven of those. Was there? No, I didn't count them. That's interesting. Yeah, that's the One, two, three, four, five. Six. Yeah, there is. Yeah. And you said menorah. You know that might be. I'd have to double check that one, but it does uh, does look like the menorah blessing of uh, the numbers of the menorah. Interesting. I had never even thought about that. And every creature. And every creature here is anything created. Everything created which is in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and just in case, in the sea. <laughs> all of them heard I saying. So this is all of creation now. Before it was the angels, which are created beings as well. But now all of creation is saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him that sits upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Can you imagine the noise that John is hearing here? He's got the angels sing, singing one praise. We've got the, the 24 elders and the beasts singing another praise. And now you've got the, all of the creation singing a praise. <laughs> They're all very similar, but you know, if you've ever been in a crowd where people are singing different things, it's a very interesting place to be. Sometimes it can be very beautiful as well to hear how God will join the different voices, even though we're all singing different words and, and different things that uh, you can just hear and there's this melody that plays underneath it that, that makes it join together. So I don't think it's a, you know, a, a clattering sound he's hearing. I think he's hearing all these different words, but it's coming across in a very beautiful, melodious praise to God because God is not a God of disorder and He's a God of order, so he's going to take all these different voices and he's going to somehow blend them together and make them a beautiful sound. And I've been in a church where they, they were all of a sudden just everybody would start singing and they'd all sing different things. And yet the sound of it sometimes can come out and be such just a beautiful blending together, even though this person's singing one thing, this person's singing another, but the noise all comes together and is very beautiful and the spirit is guiding it and here's John hearing three different songs and yet saying there's beauty in it. When you say that creation sings out, it reminds me of when Jesus said the rocks will cry out. It wouldn't oh, surprise yeah, rocks, me. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if this is, isn't part of it. I like that one where it said when the rocks will cry out. Come on, cry for me, rock. But, but in, in, a, in a very strong way, the rocks do cry out. In a, in a very true way, every word that's ever been spoken in this room is still in this room, bouncing off the walls at a lower and lower and lower intensity. But it still bounces around. If you could measure downward, you could pick up everything that's ever been said. Now, we don't have anything that sensitive as far as I know in, in, in our possession, but, you know, those yeah. things that, that in, oh, in yeah. theory, in theory, it exists. In theory, everything that has ever gone out in sight, if we could get fast enough, we could catch up with. 
and review. Now, we don't ever go that fast, but this is why time would be, time in reality would go backwards if you could get up to the speed of, exceed the speed of light. Because you would be seeing everything that passed. <laughs> because you would be bypassing the light. So, and this makes it interesting because time travel is in theory possible. We just can't accomplish it because we can't get anything going that fast. Uh, but in, but in, in theory and in physics says that time travel is possible if you can manage to get, get that speed <laughs> that takes you backwards through what's going on. I think time travel is fast enough. We don't need it any faster. <laughs> well, we're talking about backwards time travel, oh, not okay. forward time okay. travel. <laughs> okay. Theoretically, we can't go forward because it hasn't happened yet. But theoretically, we could go backwards because we could review everything that, if we could get going faster in the speed, we'd re-see everything that had already happened. Uh, a scary thing to think of. That was really scary, yeah. <laughs> scary thing to think of, you know. Uh, last verse. And the four beasts said, Amen, and the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that lives forever and ever. We see the, the eternality of God throughout this verse. Over and over it says, to him that lives forever. And God lives forever. He has always been. Before, before time, during time, after time. We as human beings and created beings, we have a start, but we live forever. Now, the question is, where will we live? Will it be heaven or hell? Heaven. But, you know, heaven. heaven for those heaven. Sitting, for those of us sitting in this room, I'm assuming it's heaven because I believe everybody in this room has accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But every single person that's alive is going to live forever. Even those who every person, let's say, I can't imagine let's, that. let's change yeah. that. Not every person who's alive. Yeah. Every person who's been born <laughs> will live forever. All right. And our life right now, just these and you know, fifty some years. And, we, and that's the thing about it. We don't want to just think you know, that our life is only the 100 years, 80 years, whatever it is. We have an eternity to live. And that should also motivate us to talk to those who are not, do not know Jesus because they have an eternity to live too. They'll have an eternity without God and they'll have an eternal death. And that uh, should motivate us to go before people and say, you need to know Jesus. Because that is ultimately the only thing that's important is where are they going to spend eternity? Because we will look back on this time on this earth, you know, even if we manage to live a thousand years, we'll look back on this world and say, what a short time that was compared to eternity. You can't even grasp that, I think. No, we it's hard, but, you know, yeah. and that's when, when we sing Amazing Grace, it says, when we've been there 10,000 years, Bright shining, uh, day, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to s sing your praise. You know, and we can't even fathom that. A thousand years out. Now, granted, we all know there's no time. There's no time as we know it. But a thousand years out into, and I'm even going to use our terms, a trillion years out there, <laughs> and we look back and we're just starting. But what's what's our time on Earth compared to a trillion years out into the future? It's like, it's We're going to get out there and look back at this earth and go, I was worried about what? <laughs> I cared about what back then? <laughs> yeah. And so we want to get into this, but on the flip side of that, those who are in hell a trillion years from now are going to look back and say, boy, don't I wish I had made the right decisions when, when I had the opportunity to accept Jesus. Don't I wish that I had chosen him instead of rejected him? 
And they're going to remember very clearly every time that they rejected Jesus. And we need to give them plenty of opportunities to have rejected Jesus. That way they have lots of regret. <laughs> well, and because it's true, though, in one sense, not to give them lots of regret, but they needed every opportunity to make the right choice. And we never know who's going to get the pleasure of leading them to the Lord. You know, we, we broadcast, we give the, the, the gospel message on just about everything I ever teach or say. The gospel message is in there. So who knows? People listening to this, they have the opportunity to hear. They get, to, they get the opportunity to hear the gospel. And I'm looking forward to getting to heaven and having somebody come up to any member of this church saying, I got saved because I was listening to your, your broadcast on the Internet. Who knows what God's and using this for? Or Germany or someplace like, you oh, like this. We're being heard in Germany yeah. and Netherlands and France and, and uh, Brazil. Actually, Brazil has the greatest number of hits this, this, this month. Uh, China. You know, we're being heard all over the world. And I'll tell you, I've been wondering a lot. How are, how are all these people finding us? You know, who looks up a church in chloride when they're in China? It doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> That's amazing. God's directing them. God's, God's yeah. done something to draw all these people to our site. And I don't, you know, somebody's got to be word of mouth. Somebody's got to, you know, somebody's got to have passed it on, you know, say you need to listen to this person and pass it on. I don't know. Uh, or I think, you know, like you said, you want Clark to be little Jerusalem. I think just it's just one thing. They're looking for an old town, and so they call, so they click on Clark, but then they read the other thing. So they click on the mm -hmm. church and... So, Clara could be little who, who knows? Who knows what's going on out there? And God will show us if it's you know, necessary for us to know. But you know, we're we're closing in on a thousand clicks into sermons this month, and that means that almost two or three thousand people have actually clicked onto the page. And it's humbling on one side. It's amazing that this little church is being reaching. So many more people than we have in the church that are listening to these messages. I know, because I click on it, and it's really neat, because I think just people in other countries are listening to this, mm -hmm. which is neat. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the picture of the throne room with all the praise going on. And, Lord, that you are worthy and that you cared enough to die for us to redeem us so that we could spend eternity with you. Lord, we ask that you help us as we go forward and, and visit and see things and that you will help us to, to go forward in your name. Amen.